Good morning. Good morning. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible under the row of chairs in front of you. Uh, last week, we, uh, we looked uh, kind of at the, the doctrine of original sin. At least we saw that in the, uh, in the book of Genesis. You know, how humanity was created in the image of God and was thus truly wonderful. Uh, but how humanity rebelled against the king of the universe and, and how they were thus uh, truly awful. And, and we saw this, this downward spiral into sin in Genesis as, you know, Adam's sin led to Cain's murder of his brother Abel, which led to Lamech's vengeance, which led to the violence of the Nephilim, which led to uh, the Lord's assessment of humanity in Genesis 6, verse 5, uh, that uh, the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, right? And that was a very dark, dark point in humanity's history. Uh, but then, of course, we saw the, the good news of Jesus, right? That, that Christ came and lived the perfect life that we were unable to live and that he died the death we deserve to die so that by, by faith in Jesus, the image of God in humanity could be fully and finally restored and redeemed. As the uh, Apostle Paul put it in, in 1 Corinthians 15, Verses 47 to 49, uh, the first man was from the earth, uh, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Uh, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are also those who are of heaven. Just as we have, been, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also uh, bear the image of the man of heaven. And so we see this this uh, redemption and restoration of uh, the image of God in humanity as, as Jesus, uh, the, the perfect uh, image of God, um, comes and, and redeems that on our behalf. Uh, but where last week's overview of Genesis focused on humanity's predicament, this uh, second overview of Genesis will begin to focus on uh, the remedy, the remedy to humanity's Predicament and how uh, salvation comes not by works, but from the righteousness that comes by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, for which uh, we can be truly thankful. Uh, so if you have your Bibles open, follow along with me as I read for us Genesis 15. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 6. Uh, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household shall be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him 
as righteousness. May God bless the reading of his word. Uh, Last year, Ligonier Ministries, uh, together with uh, Lifeway Research, uh, conducted a survey of 3,000 Americans to examine the state of theology in the United States. Uh, The statistics are surprising, to say the least. Uh, 43% of evangelicals reject the deity of Jesus Christ. 56% of evangelicals believe that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 65% of evangelicals believe that everyone is born innocent. 26% of evangelicals believe that the Bible, like all sacred writings, contain helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. Now, I recognize that this is the United States, and thus, you know, the the stats might be skewed slightly, but I believe the need is just as great here in Canada to preach the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ that is gloriously revealed to us in the scriptures. Uh, There are many who say that uh, they believe in Christ, but uh, that's not enough for them. Uh, It has to be Christ plus good works, or it has to be Christ plus uh, the keeping of the law or or something along those lines, not realizing that they are insulting Christ's finished work of redemption on our behalf. And so uh, this morning, we're going to see what Genesis has to say about faith and righteousness and the sufficiency of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I understand that uh, we, we just read Genesis 15, uh, but we're actually not going to begin there. We will eventually get there, but we're not going to begin there. And that's because the subject of faith and righteousness uh, doesn't begin in Genesis chapter 15. Uh, according to the writer of Hebrews, there are actually three men of faith uh, who come onto the scene before Abraham and who uh, require our attention first. And so the first man of faith uh, that we see in Genesis is that of Abel. Abel. Uh, Look with me, if you will, at uh, Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. It says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Now, in in the reading of Cain and Abel's story, you may may have noticed that there's there's no mention of Abel's faith or his righteousness uh, explicitly. 
Uh, yet in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, the writer of Hebrews twice references Abel's faith. Now, you don't necessarily need to turn to Hebrews 11, although we will be um, switching back from, from Genesis to, to Hebrews chapter 11. But in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, uh, it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And so this, this begs the question, how, how are we to understand Abel's faith in the Genesis account? You know, what, what, what was it about Abel's offering that was more acceptable than Cain's offering? Uh, you know, some commentators, they, they will argue that uh, it was what was being offered that made the difference, right? A, a firstborn lamb as opposed to a grain offering. Uh, but I, I believe the, the writer of Hebrews is getting at something below the surface, as it were. Um, in other words, it's, it's not necessarily about what was offered, but how it was offered. It's not the what, it's the how. Right? Abel's offering is accepted and, and Cain's offering is rejected uh, because of the heart condition of the one bringing the offering. Uh, Genesis chapter uh, 4, verses 4 to 5 says that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain... And his offering, he had no regard. And so we see that God looks at the heart of the person before he looks at their offering. So he's looking at how they're bringing it before he's looking at what they're bringing. And we see that uh, Abel's offering reveals his righteous heart, whereas Cain's offering reveals his faithless heart. Thus, Abel's faith was counted to him as righteousness. Uh, the second man of faith we see in Genesis is that of Enoch. Enoch. Uh, following his expulsion from the presence of the Lord in Genesis 4, verse 16, Cain, he goes away, remember, he goes east of Eden, away from the presence of the Lord, and he builds this city, and he fathers an ungodly line of offspring. But on the other hand, Adam and Eve, they have another son. His name is Seth who replaces Abel and who fathers a godly line of offspring, right? You get to the end of, of Genesis chapter four, uh, Seth and, and his descendants are known for calling upon the name of the Lord, right? So this is a godly line of offspring. And yet despite their godliness, death reigned in, in both the godly line and the ungodly line. Uh, in the genealogy of Seth and in Genesis chapter 5, after each one of the names comes the words, right? And he died. For example, there in, in Genesis chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, it says that when Seth had lived uh, 105 years, he fathered Enosh. And, and Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Right, so we get the we get the name, we, we get who they fathered, we get how long they lived after they fathered all these children, and then we get their death. Right? And this goes on for several generations until the genealogy comes to Enoch. And in Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 to 24, we read 
When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And we would expect it to hear the words or to read the words, and he died. But what do we read? Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. And so we see that death does not reign in the life of Enoch like everyone else before him. Why? Because God took him. All right now we don't know uh, we don't know how God took him. Um, you know, maybe it was by chariots of fire and horses of fire, like God did with uh, Elijah, Second Kings, verses uh, chapter two, verses eleven to twelve. Uh, maybe Enoch just simply uh, disappeared. Uh, we we don't know. We don't know how God took him, but we do know the why. In this instance, we know why God took him, and it's because Enoch walked with God. Now, this is a term that. Uh, describes deepest communion with God, just like the, the communion that Adam and Eve had with God when they walked with God in the cool of the day, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And so it's a, it's a walk with God that, that hasn't really been happening ever since Adam and Eve sinned, but it happens again with Enoch. And we also know that, that Enoch's walk with God was charged by his Faith, because again, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, we read, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Right? And again, we see this, this link between faith and righteousness, where Enoch's faith is the sole basis for his being taken up into heaven. Now, by faith, Enoch walked with God and God took him. The third man of faith that we see in Genesis is that of Noah. Is that of Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, we get this devastating assessment of humanity, right? The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil Continually, right? But Noah, Noah stands out amidst the depravity that's all around him, right? As a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Genesis 6 verse 9 says, right? Noah also, like Enoch, walked with God. Now, even though uh, Noah is preceded by righteous Abel and righteous Enoch, this is the first use of the word righteous, Sahih in scripture. So, but, but, but just like his predecessors, Noah's righteousness was not, was not self-generated, right? It wasn't a righteousness in and of himself, as the writer of Hebrews again makes clear. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So we see that Noah's righteousness was credited to him, credited to him by faith, which then produced in him what? 
obedience. Right? So his, his faith is credited to him and he responds with obedience. Four times the flood story declares that Noah did all that God had commanded him. And so we see here that the person whom God saves by his grace is the one who not only hears the word of God, but who also does the word of God, who does what God says, to, to borrow the language of James chapter 1. Right? Abel, Enoch, Noah, right? they, they were not saved by grace through faith in order for them to live for themselves, but in order that they might live for God, which they ultimately did. And this brings us to Abraham, who by faith, he obeyed the call of God to, to leave his country and his kindred and his father's house to go to the land that God would show him. That's Genesis 12, verse 1. Uh, Abraham's obedience to obey the call of God it is a monumental act of faith because at this point in time, uh, Abraham is a pagan living in a pagan land, right? He's not seeking out God, but in fact, God seeks out Abraham. And Abraham risks it all to obey God's word. Now, now notice his obedience is immediate. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was yet to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Right? And so we see that while the call of God is still ringing in his ears, Abraham obeys. And in fact, Abraham is asked to believe the word of God without first knowing the destination, which, you know, that that's terrifying. And yet by faith, Abraham did as the Lord had commanded him. Now, even though Abraham's life was, you know, indeed a, a life of, of faith, he was still a sinner, right? Um, Sure, he obeys God's word and, and travels down to, to Canaan and, and he even builds altars to the Lord and he calls upon the name of the Lord, Genesis 12, verses 8 and 9. But, but then, in the second half of Genesis chapter 12, he goes down to Egypt when there was a, a famine in the land and, and he makes his wife lie to the Egyptians because he was afraid that they would kill him if they knew that uh, she was his wife. And, and we think to ourselves, you know, where did... Where did his faith go? Where, where did the, you know, the, the call of God still ring in his ears? Where did that go? You know, but, then, but then in Genesis chapter 13, right, Abraham returns to the land of Canaan and he again builds an altar to the Lord and he calls upon the name of the Lord and, and he trusts God uh, to fulfill his promise of land by letting his nephew Lot choose first what part of the land he wanted. And then in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham rescues Lot from a group of violent and marauding kings. And, and you know, we wonder, like, how did Abraham do that? Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 to 10. You know, by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, he went to live in the land of promises in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, 
for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith. Right? But, but what we're seeing here is that um, are the ups and downs of the Christian life, right? where, where sometimes uh, you have high highs and sometimes you have low lows. You know, we're, we're very much like the prophet Elijah, aren't we? Who in the aftermath of the victory over the, uh, the prophets of Baal hid in a cave because he was afraid that he was the only one of God's people left and, and that Queen Jezebel was going to kill him if she had half a chance. You know, sometimes our, our faith can be gripped by doubt. Doubt of what's to come, you know, doubt of, you know, what, what is God doing in this particular situation, right? This was certainly true for Abraham, right? Despite all of his faith-filled experiences, Abraham still had no heir, right? His, his obedience hadn't brought about a son who would take up God's promise. <coughs> and this brings us to Genesis chapter 15. Here in Genesis 15, Abraham, he, he brings his doubts before God. You know, you, you, haven't, you haven't given me a son. You haven't given me an heir. You haven't given me offspring. How about this guy? How about this Eliezer of Damascus, maybe he's, maybe he's the one, or maybe someone else from, from my household, maybe they're, they're the ones. You know, as he's, as he's bringing his doubts before God and, and, and his, his feeble attempts to persuade God to bring about the, the promise, his promise another way, what does God do? He brings him outside and he points him to the stars and he says, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, so shall your offspring be. Genesis 15, verse 5. And of course, Abraham is humbled by this whole ordeal as he, as he looks up at the stars, right? He says nothing. But though Abraham does not speak, Scripture says that he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, verse 6. And so Abraham, he believes with all his heart that numerous offspring will come from his childless body so that the writer of Hebrews can say, therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Hebrews 11, verse 12. Right? By faith, Abraham holds on to the promise of God. Now, this isn't obviously the, the first time that Abraham put his faith in God's word, and it certainly wouldn't be uh, the last. But, but here, Abraham's faith is defined. Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness, right? Abraham, who was originally destitute of righteousness, he was devoid of, of the perfect righteousness that God requires was now counted righteous through faith, faith in God and God's promise. As one commentator put it, above all, his righteousness is not the result of any accomplishments, whether of sacrifice or acts of obedience. Rather, it is stated programmatically that belief alone 
has brought Abraham into proper relationship with God. In other words, Abraham is declared righteous, not because of anything he did, but because of his belief in what God was going to do, right? Which is consistent with Abel and with Enoch and with Noah, indicating that righteousness has always come by faith. Righteousness has always come by faith. Abraham's uh, faith would, would be further strengthened that the following night, so at the end of, of Genesis chapter 15, uh, when God would uh, confirm his promise of land for Abraham's offspring. So not only would, would uh, Abraham get numerous offspring, but, but they would also have a land in which they could, they could live and move and have their being. There, the, the Lord passed through uh, pieces of divided animals as a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch in order to make a covenant with Abraham. Genesis 15, verses 12 to 20. And with that confirmation, right, we would think, okay, so Abraham, he's had his, his rough patches, right? He's had his ups and downs. But with that confirmation now, he, he should have no problem believing in the promises of God, right? His doubts and, and his fears she should be all gone. But then what? You, you flip over the page, and what's the next thing we read? Well, it's Abraham and Sarah, again trying to bring about God's promises in their own way as they attempt to have a son through Sarah's maidservant, Hagar. Right? And again, we think, ah, oh, where did his faith go? It's the ups and downs. Right, we, we don't have uh, time to, to look in depth at the, the faltering face of Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and the, I guess we could say the, the model faith of Joseph. But, but the assessment of the writer of Hebrews will suffice. Uh, though Sarah initially laughed in disbelief at God's promise that she would bear a son in her old age, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11 says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. And, and though Isaac had attempted uh, to bless Esau and thus go against God's choice of the younger Jacob, yet God sovereignly dealt well with him, as Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20 says, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And though Jacob sought God's blessing the wrong way, he came to believe and submit to God's will so that at the end of his life, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21 could say, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing worship over the head of his staff. And then there's the, the model faith of, of Joseph, right? Who rested everything. He, he hung everything on God's promise uh, to him and to his descendants and ordered his body to be mummified in, in preparation for the exodus. As, as Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22 says, by faith, Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. And so what do, what do we see throughout all of Genesis? is that the redemptive principle has always been and it will always be that of faith. 
the, the redemptive principle is that of faith. All right, now, now turn over to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22, where, where we, again, see one of the high points of, of, of Abraham's life. We see one of the most extraordinary demonstrations of faith in the Bible, and that is Abraham's uh, sacrifice of his son Isaac. Genesis chapter 22, uh, in obedience to, to God's word, uh, Abraham is about to bring the knife down upon his only son, whom he loves. When the angel of the Lord calls to him from heaven, saying in Genesis chapter 22, verses 11 to 12, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your head on the boy or do anything to him, for I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Again, how did Abraham do this? Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19, by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham believed that he and Isaac would return from the mountain together. And the result of Abraham's belief was action. Belief that led to action. All right, now, and in this moment, we, we go to James chapter 2. All right, you can, you can turn there if you want, James chapter 2. Uh, Abraham, right, he doesn't believe and then not do what God has commanded, right? It's not like he, he's going, okay, I believe God, I don't, you know, I don't need to actually sacrifice my son in order to believe you. I, I believe that what you're going to do is, is going to happen. No, no, Abraham believes to the point of action. And that's because true faith is a faith that works. True faith is a faith that works. James makes this point clear in James chapter 2, verses 21 to 24. There, James writes, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Right? We, we just read that, Genesis 15, verse 6. And J James goes on to say, And he was called a friend of God you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. All right, so, so on the surface, surface reading of the text, it can seem as though James is saying that, that we are saved, that we're justified by faith plus works, or faith plus this, or faith plus this, you know? But, but James is, is after the evidence of a right standing with God before others. In other words, uh, James isn't looking at saving faith. He's looking at the fruit of saving faith. His concern is that a person who is saved by faith is going to be a transformed person. 
It's going to be a person who is different than who they once were. Uh, the Protestant reformers put it in a very helpful way. Uh, they, they, they say, I, I think it's attributed to, to Luther, but we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Right? We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Right? The, the, the faith that saves is going to produce in us the fruit of obedience. And so faith is the root and obedience is the fruit, as the, the case may be. And this is, this is an important principle because when you get to Romans chapter 4, you, again, you can turn there if you want. All of this is laying the, 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 the groundwork for this conversation on, on, on faith and righteousness. And, but in, in Romans chapter 4, you know, just like James, the apostle Paul also quotes Genesis 15, verse 6. But unlike James, Paul is quoting it to show that Abraham was counted righteous by faith and not by works. So he's looking at it, it's like two sides of the, of the same coin. You know, Abraham, or Abraham, Paul's looking at the coin from one end, James is looking at the coin at the other end. They're both saying the same thing. They're just coming at it from different perspectives. Paul is, is looking at it from the perspective that Abraham was counted righteous by faith, not by works. So in, in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, Paul writes, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Again, he, uh, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Again, in, in Genesis chapter, or not Genesis, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul again quotes Genesis 15, verse 6. Uh, but he does so this time to show that, that not just Abraham, but all those who believe in Jesus are also saved by faith, not by works. Galatians chapter 3, verses 5 to 9. Does he who supplies the, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Again, Genesis 15, verse 6. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of and so here we're beginning to see the, the remedy to humanity's predicaments. Right, so just kind of laying it out. Original sin shows us that every fabric of our being is tainted by sin. So that Romans chapter 3 verses 10 to 12 could say, none is righteous, 
No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have uh, become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Right? So there's, there's no way for sinful people to achieve the righteousness, the right standing before God that God requires. Uh, we need uh, what the reformers, again, called an alien righteousness. We, we need a righteousness that is not our own, a righteousness that is apart from us, a righteousness that belongs to Christ and that can only be received by faith. We, we need a righteousness that rests on the atonement of the cross when Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says. Right? This, this is the free gift that Abraham received when he believed God, and this same free gift is available to all those who come to Jesus by Faith. Right? Every works-based system is bound to fail because of who we are by nature. But, but Paul writes that now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans 3, verses 21 to 22 and verse 28. Right? Our, our hope is not in, in our works of righteousness. Our hope is that we might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Philippians chapter three, verse nine. And how do we receive this, this good news? How do we receive this, this righteousness of God? Again, Paul writes, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Right? This, this is it. This is how we receive the good news. And so the question for each one of us is, do we believe? Do we believe? Do you believe with, with all your heart that Jesus is Lord? Do you believe with all your heart that Jesus died for you? Do you believe with all your heart that God raised him from the dead in victory over sin and death and hell on your behalf? Do you believe this? If so, then you have been saved. And you have been declared righteous, not, not by any works that you have done, but by faith in Christ's work on your behalf. And so if this, is our, if this is our position now in Christ, that's good news, church. That's good news, church. This, this 
righteousness that comes by faith in Christ alone is certainly something for which we can be truly thankful. This Thanksgiving, and really every single day of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for the good news that salvation comes by faith, And when a person believes in the person and work of Jesus Christ, they are declared righteous. We thank you for the death of Jesus. And we thank you for raising him from the dead. Through faith in which we can receive the free gift of eternal life. God, there is so much for which we can be thankful for. Make us a truly thankful people. In Jesus' name, amen.